This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send me a text at 2057 or email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio. Oh, I'm looking forward to this interview because I've got Avril Drake along. Mother, wife, but some families decide to homeschool. And I think, oh, how wonderful, how brave. I can understand this. Oh, my goodness, that's so bold. And then others decide to homeschool and take off around the country and explore and do stuff. And that's what Averill's doing. Averill, good morning. Good morning, Rodney. How are you? Well, I'm excited. I've been on your Facebook. Now, tell me, I just, I'd forgotten it. What's your backcountry? What's your Facebook page? This backcountry life, um, and we used to run a page called Young Geologist New Zealand, um, and we ran that for about seven years. It's so, extraordinary but- what you do. I just, I just love it. But I want to start at the beginning to how you got there. Where'd you grow up? Uh, well, I actually grew up on the west coast of the South Island um, in Westport. And we have returned to the region, um, but instead of Westport, we live in the back country um, in the middle of um, forest. And have you always been an outdoor girl? No, I haven't. Um, So I was a very conventional town girl. Um, We spent very little time in the outdoors, but I always had an interest and affinity with nature and wanted to know more and explore. So my husband and I, Um, Both of us enjoy the outdoors and we were very inspired by um, a book called uh, Walden's Pond. Yes, indeed. Yes. So we like the idea. Who hasn't, who hasn't, who hasn't that has read that book not been inspired? Yeah, exactly. So the cabin in the woods idea. Yeah. Going back, going back to the simple life where stuff gets real. Yeah, exactly. So real problems, real issues, and and reality check in the wilderness is a big deal. So you you cannot be too bogged down by societal concerns because when you're thinking in terms of survival with warmth, uh, water, food, shelter, those things really bring you back to... um, Back to basics in reality, yeah. When did when did this Walden Pond grab you? How old were you? Uh, I I think it was when we were bringing the children up. Uh, we, so you we, had children. Had, yep, we've got two sets of twins. Wow. And yeah, that's <laughs> been busy. Um, <laughs> so when we had the first set of twins, we thought it would be a wonderful bring, way to bring up children, um, connecting them to nature and um, grassroots education, getting them to explore the wilderness and a, a life that I think my husband and I wanted when we were children but didn't have. So we thought we'd give that to them. And you yourself were a high school teacher, I believe. Yes. Um, so I've worn a few teaching hats in my time. I was a high school teacher for a few years. Um, I taught art and design and then 
branched off into uh, technology as well and was going to be a woodwork and metalwork teacher, but that didn't happen. I left um, teaching secondary school to become a freelance photographer and I was travelling New Zealand. Then I became pregnant with my twins and we decided that travelling wasn't the best thing with children. So I trained as a mind and body teacher um, mm-hmm. specialising in yoga and we eventually opened a mind and body studio from home which we ran for seven years mm-hmm. um, and part of that was that we had a background in martial arts so with the studio we taught kung fu, tai chi, yoga swings, yoga, pilates and belly dance. I don't, I'm beginning to feel a little bit intimidated now <laughs> like you are amazing. Oh yeah, and I did this next. Oh my goodness me! Everyone will be listening to this and thinking, "How is all that possible?" Keep going. It, it was really just happening organically, just just following our own interests and just seeing what we wanted to do with life. And then um, we had the one set of twins that we were. Um, we first tried to take them to preschool, but my twins were very, very resistant. They're quite determined, and they weren't going to have it. I tried them for six months at three or four different preschools, and they just did not like it. So with my teaching background, I took with my husband, and we both agreed that we would trial homeschool from home with the idea that at any point, whether the kids, my husband or myself, didn't want to do it anymore, we would stop. And we have reflected on that back and forth a few times over the years, but we've always stuck with the homeschool. So this is what, when they're three or four, you decided to give it a whirl? Yes. Um, When you say say they didn't like uh, preschool, Mm-hmm. This is a funny thing, isn't it? Because you take your kids off to preschool and they want to be with mum. That's right. So I found it very heart wrenching. I, I couldn't. Yes. And, and supposedly good mums wrench the children off, off mum. And mum, bawling her eyes out, heads off to work. Mm. And kids being kids, you can pop back 10 minutes later and they've been distracted and they're sort of doing something. Mm. But deep inside you, you can feel there's something not natural about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More, on, more on you as a parent than the children, I suspect. Mm. Especially at that young age, because mm. as you're saying, all they really want is to be with mum because that's yes. the comfort place. Um, and and so that's what we did. We had the kids at home, and they they con- they were constantly telling me that that was what they wanted. They did not want to go to preschool. Yes, there were fun things that were happening there, um, but their preference was to be with me. And are they a boy and a girl? Two boys, two girls. Two boys with the yeah. first set, and the second set is a girl and a boy. Okay. So, carry on. 
Yeah. Um, so, so you're at home. Are you working? You're working from home doing your Pilates and your Kung Fu? and Not not initially. That evolved later. I was okay. doing studies in naturopathy alongside having the kids, and that was one of the reasons I had wanted to take them to preschool in the first place so I could do yeah. some studies. Um, but I had them at home, and we, I was studying at the same time, and that worked out. Yeah. Um, so we've been homeschooling now for about – 13 years. Yeah. Um, and when we first started, it was very unconventional. Yes. There's no one in my family and no one in my social circle who were homeschooling. Um, so there were varied reactions to that. Um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> How far apart are the twins? So there's a six year gap. Hmm. Um, yeah, we had the first set and then forgot what it was like to have a young baby, <laughs> a new, newborn, and then we went back for another one um, and then ended up with two. How wonderful. Yeah, it was lovely, yeah. And when you had your second set, you were still living in a house. Yes. At home, homeschooling the first set, and presumably you would – automatically homeschool the next two children that you had. Yeah. Um, so we're just always reflecting on what was working, what wasn't working, mm -hmm. and being quite open to changing to taking the kids to school if that seemed like it was going to be a better option. But as we kept going, we learned and adapted to our changing circumstances and the changing needs of the children and just found new ways of doing things. So the boys were actually really helpful with the babies. Mm. Um, so they learned skills like being nurturing and being helpful. They were um, becoming more mature for their own age than they would normally be mm -hmm. by stepping up and helping support with the babies. Yeah. And what would you do for them, given that homeschooling, I'm saying back then, it's not that long ago, mm. but now you'll notice even in quite small towns, there'll be a number of families homeschooling and they can meet up and the kids can do things and parents can share the load mm. and the kids can socialise. What would you be doing back then for the kids to meet other kids? Well, with our mind and body studio, I was teaching Kung Fu classes and the boys came and joined the Kung Fu classes. So they were my students as well. Mm -hmm. And they would be interacting with other kids there. And in the Kung Fu, it was through Chen's Martial Arts, there's a wonderful community. So mm -hmm. they were making friends in there. We also had friends that... Um, I went through with the preschool years who they would um, have playdates with. We did spend some time with other homeschoolers in the area, but there wasn't a lot of people homeschooling at the time in Canterbury. Um, so we did go to things like planned arts and crafts. They did some um, pottery um, and some other sporting activities with other kids. 
But really, my children just love to be with me and be exploring the outdoors because that's what I like doing, and they wanted to do that as well. Isn't it funny? And, of course, the I don't want to talk about me. So it's a rude thing to do, but it's just interesting to hear you reflect because I remember when I started homeschooling, I sort of had a feeling that it would be me standing at home in front of a blackboard um, mm. being a school teacher and having them sit mm-hmm. at their desk sort of thing. And then very quickly you realize that I saw you use the phrase unschooling on yes. your Facebook, and that's what I read about. And I quickly adapted to that, and I've had a, a daughter home from school for a few months, and I have been teaching her unschooling, and it's just hanging out and learning. Mm. And she's got so good at maths, um, you know, we'll do a little bit um, with a book, but it's just, it is getting your head out of what a school is, and you're not trying to replicate a school at home, are you? That's right. That's not the point. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I have to be honest, when I first decided to teach the boys at home, being that I came from a high school background, I did set up a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lasted for about two days. Mm-hmm. I had the whiteboard, I had the teacher's desk, the computer sitting there, all my resources all lined up nicely. And all the, the children's... Um, materials, arts and crafts in a nice tidy cubby. They had their own desks, their chairs, but it only lasted a couple of days. The boys were just not interested in sit-down lessons, no matter how exciting or interesting I tried to plan it. They wanted to be outdoors. They wanted to be exploring, um, creating and doing things that they were interested in, not what I was interested in. Um, And, of course, those older boys they must be what 16 or so now they're 16 my goodness um so they're 16 now and when they were 10 they started to dabble with repurposing things in their own time off their own interest without me um, guiding them or making them do it and this developed into repairing tools. From That was something that came from me because they were quite hard on the tools with all their making things and fixing things. So I asked them, instead of buying new tools, if they could try and repair them. They started by fixing the handles and then I guided them into maybe making an entirely new tool. So then they looked at how to fashion metal and this became making hatchets and knives. And you'd think that's a terrible thing for a mother to be allowing a child to do, but that is what happened. They became knife makers. And at age 13 and 14, they started to teach workshops. And this developed into a, a New Zealand tour teaching workshops. Um, we taught workshops from Invercargill all the way up to Kaitaia and into um, Great Barrier Island as well. Wow. But I just got to, I'm just sort of, that is so wonderful. But tell me, um, is that when you took to the road or did you take to the road before then? Uh, We took to the road before then. Um, The Christchurch earthquakes happened and 
we lived about a kilometre away from the Darfield fault line. So first the earthquake hit our area, Darfield, and we were hit pretty hard with the 7.1 or whatever it was. Um, Our house was fairly munted. There was a large pit that opened up on the property. We had glass breaking, chimney falling down. Uh, We had a large tree fall over right next to the house, a large eucalyptus. And we're very lucky that didn't hit the actual house. Uh, and your kids, boys, your boys were young. They were, I think they were two and a half. Mm. And we had a two-story house. So when the earthquake hit in the middle of the night, we felt like we were jelly beans in a jar being shaken about. We were literally being bounced off the ground. So my husband ran through, uh, through the boys' bedroom. He jumped over the top of the stairwell so that he didn't get knocked down the stairs and he went into one of the boys bedrooms and caught the media um, I then managed to go into the other kids bedroom so with that and the constant aftershocks we started to question life a little more and reflected very seriously on what was important to us um, in terms of our lives and for the kids and we wanted to think about instead of going for monetary goals um, perhaps looking at experiences over finances and so we decided that's what we wanted to do with our children spend more time with them enjoy them um, give them more of ourselves and um, live the life live the road less traveled So after the earthquakes, we had no running water. There was very little um, food at home because we hadn't, you know, you can't plan for an earthquake. So when everyone started to line up outside the supermarkets, we were right there with them um, just to get basic drinking water. We did have a water tank at home and a well, but we had to pump it out of the ground. We didn't have a generator. So our water was there in the well, but we couldn't access it. And all of these things made us think about not only what was important in life, but also how to make sure that you aren't caught out again and to have these resources at home um, instead of relying on external resources being supplied. The shocking thing about that earthquake was how, and I mean, I've forgotten it now. I remember going down soon after and just becoming suddenly aware how vulnerable everything is Mm. and that you have your house and you think mowing the lawn is important and keeping it tidy and then a big chasm opens up in it like you can't imagine. And I remember for a long time afterwards, even though I didn't live through the earthquake, I saw the aftermath being deeply affected. But funny mm-hmm. enough, I've fallen just back into the old way and you're mm-hmm. reminding me of that feeling. Mm-hmm. So I, 
I can't imagine it in one sense because I know for people that went through that earthquake, it was life-changing. But how quickly we fall back on the, on the old ways and expect tomorrow to be like today. Mm -hmm. But you and your husband with your family decided, no, this is, it, it, it does, it would make you think. So I understand that perfectly. And the fact that you can't access water. No. No, it was yeah, crazy. I mean, you just can't imagine that, can you? No. So, you know, you've even got water beneath you, but you can't get it. Yes. Because you have planned for a power outage. Yes. Um, and the other thing that happened with um, Christchurch is that people had just been um, required to get rid of the chimneys and to get rid of solid fuel um, heating. So the log burners were being taken out, open fires were gone, and the earthquake hit. And I remember reading in the newspaper about how elderly were really suffering. They didn't have heating in their home. There was no electricity. And the pe and people were literally dying of the cold, the, the sick and the elderly. Um, it was just terrible. My mm. husband did take on um, a role with earthquake, earthquake recovery for Fletcher's. So he was seeing these people in their homes and the circumstances that they were going through were just shocking. Um, and we just we just didn't want to allow that to happen um, to our family. We wanted to prepare and make sure that we had bases covered. So what did you do? Um, so we decided that we were going to fit out an ex, uh, an old Bedford RL. So it's a flexible chassis. It's uh, the precursor to the Unimog. Wow. <laughs> 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 and it can go almost anywhere. Um, so because its chassis is flexible, it can bend and shape itself to the land and you can take it into the back country with no issues. So that's what we did. We fitted it out and turned it into a motorhome. It had all the bells and whistles, even a working full-size washing machine. So we could do, yes, a literal home on wheels. And we already had our property that we'd purchased before the earthquakes, but we didn't want to go straight there. We decided we'd enjoy being on the road for a little bit. Um, and we decided to road trip for about one year. And everywhere that we went, we made the most of each location. The kids were uh, learning about every place we went, the history, the geology, the culture, with every place that we went. And it was just, in, just such a rich way for the children to learn. So whether there be a lake there, they could go out with their um, inflatable raft, they could fish. If it was a forest, they could learn how to forage, climb trees, make huts, whatever it may be. And, and just give a broad range of experiences. If I took my kids out and I said, there's a lake, go catch a fish. 
my kids would say, I don't know how. And I'd say, well, nor do I. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I might YouTube it. I think I've got this. And oh, my goodness, if they caught a fish, then I really wouldn't know what to do, mm. if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So did you know all this stuff or did no. you have to learn it too? We had to learn it too. And that's one of the wonderful things about unschooling. It's not just the kids who are unschooling, it's the parents too. Mm. We're alongside the children and it's a really rich way to, to live together. You support each other. You bounce off each other. You get ideas from each other. And you can also facilitate the kids um, very quickly with what they need to um, achieve what they want to do. So if it's fishing, we know together that we need to go and get the fishing gear and the raft, whatever it is, whip off to the shop and quickly go and sort them out and then get them on that lake. So you spend a year, at this stage you've only got two kids, I'm thinking. Four kids. But they were two and a half when the earthquake hit? Yeah, so we had the, had the studio at home. We ran that for seven years. So I've skipped a gap there. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we had the studio. It was a blur, right? Kids were a blur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that have gone on. Um. So we had the studio for seven years, and when the second set of twins came on, after the earthquakes had happened, we were already reflecting on that, wanting okay. to have a different way of living. Um, and the Bedford was in process of being fitted out. So it took a while to get all of this sorted out. So when you're and, in the Bedford on the road for a year, there's four of you? Yes. Um, so, Six of you. So, yeah, and we made the big call to get um, into the back country when my husband started to show signs of post-traumatic stress. Yes. Um, he was working in his job, driving around, and then he would forget where he was going and what he was supposed to be doing. And it was becoming uh, so typical that it was a standing joke about bring at work. So... We thought, no, we don't need Brent to be stressed like that. And I no longer wanted to have the pressure of running a studio with four children and needing to do that to uphold a big mortgage. Mm. We thought we wanted to simplify life, strip it down, live, um, live a more basic lifestyle and become more grassroots. So it was the earthquake, it was the post-traumatic stress, it was children being four of them now and wanting to just focus on them um, and give them a different kind of life. So, so the business needed to go. That was taking me away from the kids at night I was needing to whip off straight into teaching classes as soon as my husband arrived home and it was affecting our, you know, our family lifestyle together. 
So yeah, then we fitted out the bed fit and the bed fit was interesting because the boys started to help with that. They were working on the electrics. They were helping with the joinery. They're helping to remodel the outside, doing a standing heel or drilling something in there. Um, We learned together how to do the 12-volt system. So I'd do the research and my husband would put it together. And the kids were absorbing all of this in real time as it happened. And they would go shopping with me for all the bits and pieces to do it all. So then we had Bedford fitted out and we took to the road travelling, learning on location. And my husband was still working at that time. So he'd go off and work and then come back to us wherever we were. And we're basing ourselves around Canterbury and different places. Then he... I'm guessing you're not staying at the Holiday 10 campground in your Bedford RL. No, we did a lot of um, freedom camping. Mm-hmm. so life was much cheaper. Was it scary? Yeah, night? there were scary moments. Um, there was one location that we decided to leave after the first night, um, and we stuck to places that that seemed a little, a lot more tame. Was it scary from other human beings? Uh, this particular location was. Yeah, mm. do you want me to go into that? No, 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 no. Because I, 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 I'm a bit of a scaredy cat, particularly with kids. And I guess you got the thing with the earthquake too, preying on your mm. mind. But you know that feeling that when you tuck the kids in and you tuck yourself in and you're going to sleep, you help you you need this sense of security, mm-hmm. which includes knowing what's out there. Yes, and. It's often a false sense of security because you could be downtown Auckland or downtown Christchurch where anything could happen. Yeah. But funny enough, when I'm out in a paddock, I feel I can feel a bit unsafe. Uh, well, to me, being in the outdoors and in the middle of nowhere is a lot safer than being in a city. Of course. It's just feeling it, isn't it? Yeah. and Good on fact- you. We first moved into the back country. A local said to me, "Aren't you scared living out there?" Because at that time it was me with the four children, and I lived there for five years alone with them. Was when my husband had to work away, mm-hmm. and I said to them, "No, well, what is there to be scared of out there?" And that's my viewpoint. Mm. Um, we did live in the middle of Christchurch. At one stage, my husband and I with the younger twins. And we had about three burglaries. We also had people smashing bottles outside our property. We had constant police cars going back with back and forth with the sirens. We had a helicopter with its searchlight shining into our backyard looking for I don't know what. Um, and we had a couple of murders in our region, in our suburb. Put like that. Put like that. Staying in the paddock in the truck is remarkably safe. 
Yeah. Um, and so was, where, like, where, how about. would you choose your location? Would you be on private land and you'd get the landowner's consent or would you be on public land or would you just be at the end of a road or at a picnic area? Where, whereabouts did you base the truck? It was designated campsites Okay, where, where there would be other campers. Got it. So you weren't really alone. Um, and you, you weren't had- freedom camping as such. These were like designated places that you could designated camp. camping spots, but, which which were free, and they would have water and a toilet. Yes, got it. But we also had water and a toilet in our camper. Yes, got it. Yeah, yeah. And would you all live in the truck, or did you pitch a tent beside it? All in the truck. In my the, goodness. Yeah. Gosh, gosh, that would be tight, right? With six. So there was the other aspect that my husband and I were um, probably a little bit more happy to be travelling like this because both of us have a martial arts background and we felt okay. We can handle ourselves. Well, yeah. Well, no, you can't say that in every situation, but we just felt that we probably felt a little bit more confident. Mm. So you did that, and is this when you started the? You weren't traveling around because your husband's still working. You're living in these designated areas for some years with your kids, and um, that's how you live with your husband going into work and coming home when he could. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Um, so. When we when we lived in the camper, we were based around Canterbury, just mm-hmm. where we'd go as far as Rakaia or Oxford was probably the furthest that we went. And it was a short commute back to us, so about yeah. an hour at most to travel back to us. So yeah. he'd go to work, travel an hour, and then come back to us, and we'd have him with us every day. I got it. Yeah. And then when we lived in the back country, my husband actually took a job in the North Island um, just to get a higher wage. Mm-hmm. And he lived up there for about two to three years in the North Island. He would commute down every three months for a while and just be with us for one weekend to help set things up a little bit better every time he came down. That must have been hard. Oh uh, yeah, it was hard, but the the thing that happened, which we didn't expect, is that the boys really had to step up. They they needed to help. So from a very young age, they needed to help support, and that w- is with things like building things, or fixing structures, or helping with animals because we have livestock. Um. Now, you got to bring me up to this because you were no longer now living in the designated camping area. You're now in, quote, the backcountry, mm. right? So what's that looking like? So when we initially went there, we started out with a tent because we didn't have the, camp, the camper. We had that on repairs so we could get it up to speed so we could get it over there. So that lasted for about one month. We lived in this very solid, permanent-style tent, um, and that was interesting. We learned how to 
set up rainwater collection off a small structure, which was also our cooking bench. We washed clothes there. We even had a bath running off that structure. So we had a bath, shower, kitchenette, and um, the ability to harvest rainwater. And we stayed in that um, until the Bedford was ready to go. Then we brought that to the property, parked it up there, and that was when my husband left the North Island. So um, that was pretty easy once the, the Bedford was up there. We had everything. Mm. Um, all we needed was the structure that we disassembled from our campsite and took it to a different location on our own property. And that became um, firewood storage as well as where the wash uh, second washing machine was. Um, we still had that bath and the rainwater collection from that one system. And so this is a property that you had bought? Yes, we'd bought about 90 acres in the back country. Um, nice. Which which included a little bit of wetland, a little bit of forest, and very little developed land. Okay. So it was bare basics, grassroots, nothing set up there at all. And you loved it? Loved it. It was hard, I won't lie. There's a lot of challenges. But for me, I thrive on a bit of a challenge. Um, I think one of the issues with being in our Canterbury house was that everything was all set up. There was nothing much to do and boredom was a factor. Mm. So when we're in the back country, we need to problem solve and find solutions to um, small things that most people take for granted. Could you give me an example? Um, okay. We had a car breakdown and I only had the one vehicle and my husband was living in the North Island at the time. We had a digger. So I got the digger and I attached it to the car with a tow rope and I drove the digger and one of my older boys sat in the car seat and he helped steal the car and I took the car to the edge of our hill and we hill started it. Got it into <laughs> civilization. <laughs> got it into civilization and got it seen to. Well, that is problem solving, isn't it? Because, um, you know, it's not like you can just, eek, what do I do? Ring someone. Um, what did you do yourself for friendships? So we have a really good um, homeschool community here in okay. the Bullard district. Um, there, at one time, well, before COVID hit, there was something like 80 families involved. There's a huge amount of people here homeschooling of all sorts of different styles. Mm. Very eclectic. Um, unschooling is really just one aspect of homeschool. Mm. Mm. And at some point, you went on the road. Yeah. So when the boys were dabbling in knife making, 
I'd already started um, our Young Geologist New Zealand page. And the Young Geologist page began out of an interest in the land itself. So the children were wanting to understand the geology itself, how the land formed, why rocks were there, what made the rocks, what are the rocks, and what minerals were in the rocks and how could we utilise those minerals. So we started to use the minerals, um, figure out what we could make with them, turning them into something. And then this became sustainability as well. How can we sustain these minerals? And that became uh, repurposing. So the knife making was repurposing. So when we initially started, it was all about repurposing found materials and turning them into something that you want to keep. So you could get an old bit of metal and you could shape it into a knife blade and get an old bit of wood and make a handle or bone and that sort of thing. Is that what I'm thinking? That's right. Yep. Mm. That's it. So the boys were doing that and then I was putting what they were doing on the Young Jaws page because our page was all about their learning journey. It was Mm -hmm. never... Um, it was never about us as a family. It was really about the learning mm-hmm. and the homeschooling and sharing that. And people started to jump on board and were interested and plugged in. We got up to about 11,000 viewers, oh 11,000 followers. Oh, my goodness. Um, and with that, when the boys were knife-making, people were interested they were generally wanting to know how to do what the boys were up to. So we got invited by our own homeschool group to teach a workshop. So the boys were keen. They wanted to give it a go. We taught our first workshop in the Buller District, and that went really well. It was very basic to start with. It started with two boxes of tools and materials, and... After the first workshop, other people asked us if we could go and teach in their areas as well. So mainly it was to homeschool groups, so the homeschool community. This first happened in Marlborough, Nelson Marlborough. Then it went up to Takaka, and we were invited to teach around the rest of the South Island. So we just kept saying yes. And it wasn't from us saying, this is what we want to do. It all happened organically. And you pick up the Bedford truck? No, we didn't take the Bedford. No. Because it was so thirsty. Yeah. We just took our family car and a trailer and bundled everything in, including the kids. And you'd camp? Yes. Stay with people? Well, well, first... it all happened in winter, so we did stay in cabins initially. Okay. Yeah. Because I have a friend who son did this knife-making course and loved oh, it. Oh, right. Mm, yeah. That's how we got onto you because they loved it so much. and it was Oh, lovely. Good so, to hear. Um, and it was the real deal, right? Mm, yeah. So keep going. This is a lovely story. So after um, the South Island – um, I was getting requests from the North Island for us to go up. And at that point, I wasn't ready. 
nor will the boys. We we said to each other that we'll never go and teach in the North Island. Um, it just felt like too much of a big deal for us. So second year in, the, the South Island had asked us to go around again and the North Island wanted us to go up again. So I finally said, do we want to try it? Do we want to give it a go? And the boys said yes. And I was still a little bit tentative. It felt like a big thing for me personally, but I didn't want to hold them back. So we agreed that we would do a North Island tour. We booked the whole thing. We had people signed up in locations all around the North Island. COVID hit and then the mandates came along. Um, And we saw the change in New Zealand. Um, And we saw that we would probably be penalised if we wouldn't mandate. And we didn't want to mandate. We didn't want to leave anyone out. We didn't think that was ethical. Um, So we, again, as a family, agreed that we wouldn't do the North Island tour. We cancelled the whole thing. Um, Despite the big following we had, we cancelled the whole thing. And I I didn't at that point say that we would come back. Um, so that was off the table for us. Um, but when things started to lift and settle, we were still being encouraged to come to the North Island. And we just waited. We waited till it felt right again. And we finally conceded we will go to the North Island and asked if anyone was still interested. And we just got a huge, huge result. Um, Yeah, it was overwhelming. It was really hard to actually meet all the requests to come on to the um, workshops. And hopefully I didn't miss too many people. Um, (laughs) I was trying not to. but yeah, I did my best and we had a lot of wonderful people in the different regions who were acting as hosts and they helped me to organise workshops in the different locations and I couldn't have done it without them. It was just too much to, too much detail. Mm. So real appreciation for all of my hosts that helped with the tour. And so you're there homeschooling, kids learning all these schools of resilience and you're traveling the country yeah um so we continued with um every location we went to we wanted to know about the history the culture the geology um the plants there were different plants around new zealand different bird life and it was just so such an enriching way for children to absorb what New Zealand is. Mm. Um, and to us, New Zealand is nature. It's the natural environment. That's the special thing about it. Um, and I know there's a whole lot of things that are quite upsetting going on in New Zealand at the moment. But For sure. to, to us, this was, I don't know, the, the way to heal is to focus on the the beauty of New Zealand. And one set of twins 
are 16. Mm -hmm. The boy and the girl, I'm guessing, are about 10. No, they are eight, but they're about to turn nine. Okay, nine. Um, oh, my goodness. So with these 16-year-old twins, they must be very close because they're twins. Mm. They have grown up very close within the family and in tight spaces living-wise. So they must be extraordinary close boys. Is that true? They are, yeah. They absolutely are. They they are quite different to each other. Yes. Um, but they bounce off each other. They help bring mm. each other up. They learn together and they are often, often questioning what each other is doing and offering suggestions. And it's just been a, a really amazing way to learn. I think if it was a classroom environment, they would be um, – told to stop talking but when they, <laughs> when they're at home doing something in an unschooling manage, manner they are constantly reflecting off each other and building each other up have they got plans at the moment they are studying level three mechanical engineering online mm -hmm. um this isn't their their plan this is a tool that they can put in their back pocket that they mm. can take with them. They have also been working as builders' um, hands on site at the visitor centre at Punakaikai. Um, and this was a really good job experience for them to just feel out the building industry and see if that's where they want to go. One of them is quite interested in cooking, and he is thinking that he might like to do some chef training. Mm -hmm. But I'm letting them just figure themselves out as they go and be, be whatever they want to be. And they only have two, two things that I've told them that they need to have for me to be happy as a mum. And one of them is that they be healthy and the other is happy. And everything mm. else is all just extra. Mm. And you and your husband, plans? Uh, we are setting up our property um, so that we can be as self-sufficient as po possible. Mm. Um, we have managed a six-month stretch without any income. And that is through living off what we're growing, mm -hmm. through hunting, through fishing, um, we have had stockpiles that we've built up and we've managed to not have to have um, income apart from, you know, just a small amount each week. Well, I have to say you're a picture of radiant health. And when I read of your lifestyle, I imagined sort of you worn down by the sheer physicality and hardship of living the way I have those do. days. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> and with three boys and a young girl. But you are. You're a picture of radiant health. I mean, you wouldn't look out of place sitting in Remura having a coffee with the ladies. Oh, that's way too kind. <laughs> no, but it's quite extraordinary. So, you know, good for you. Um, it's hard with your own children because they're so special. And you love them beyond all reason. 
But if you can be a school teacher for a moment, how are your boys? I'm thinking the older ones because they're young men. Mm. How are they different to their peers because of how they've been brought up? I think you mentioned uh, how how did children get socialised in homeschool. So in a high in a school situation, the kids are in a classroom with 20, 30, say students. There's one teacher up the front, and there's a lot of things going on in that classroom. There's, te- there's kids talking to each other. There's work being done. The, ki- the teacher is managing whoever is in front of them and helping them at, at that time. They're also managing resources and trying to keep the whole class on track. So if there is something that ca- crops up that your child does that isn't quite appropriate in a social setting, you know, in the wider aspect of society, that teacher isn't as likely to pick up on that and help guide that child as a one-on-one parent on a day-to-day basis. So my boys, when they go out into society, they've always had me beside them to show them this is this is how we behave at the supermarket, the bank, at the doctors, in the library at the beach, with friends, whatever it may be, they get that direct feedback from me that this may be good behaviour or this is inappropriate. So my boys also, having helped with the younger set of twins, are very compassionate, very supportive, very caring, very helpful. They can build they can fix electrics, they can help with fixing the car. When we're on tour, my boys um, had to deal with a broken trailer axle. It wow. was the week. It was the weekend. Our trailer was extremely heavy. It had um, a whole workshop worth of gear in it, and it was overloaded for the, what the axle could handle. So they were able to get help from a mechanic who who was at one of our workshops. He helped them to fix it themselves. He wasn't an engineer, but they all sat there, the three of them together with a grinder and some drill guns and whatever tools we had with us on tour. And they took that axle off, found ways to remodel the axle with found materials And they made it strong enough for one of our other participants at a separate workshop the next day to, who was an engineer, to say this is stronger than it was originally. How wonderful. They approved. Isn't that, that is so different to their peers. And that must give them, I'm guessing, a lot of confidence that they exude. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and I, I actually put that confidence down to being in a wilderness setting. Yes, and knowing and re- who you are. 
Well, the reason is that when you're in the wilderness, you know that situations you have to deal with are very raw. Mm. They're very intrinsic to survival. Mm. So not that we've been in any serious situations, but they've had to combat a whole lot of things that a kid who is in a house with a TV, with the electricity at the flick of a light switch, water at the turn of a tap, is all available. But the boys have had to problem solve when these things wouldn't work for us. So they've had to nut it out and repair these things and figure out what was wrong. So problem solving, critical thinking have all been aspects of their upbringing. Mm. Um, so when they go out into society, they're not having to deal with this sort of thing. Mm. And it's easy. So, Well, you and your husband are truly amazing. Oh, I had one last question. Did you teach some Kung Fu? Well, in our martial arts, we're we're told that the worst situation with a Kung Fu instructor and a student is between the parents and the child. It's very hard Ah. because of the traditional relationship that you're supposed to have with your students to maintain the protocols. Yes, I see. So I do not teach my student, my, my children, Kung Fu. Have they learned? They will learn. Good. Yeah. Well done. They pick up little bits, but I cannot be their Kung Fu instructor. No, I can understand that when I think about it. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Really Check. Radio. We've been having a beautiful conversation from a beautiful woman and uh, with her husband have not travelled the easy path or the usual path with their two sets of twins, four children, but what a wonderful path and what a heartwarming, wonderful, wonderful story inspired by Walden's on, what's it called? On Walden's Pond. On Walden's Pond. And no one can read that and not ponder about stripping everything away and going to live basically under the stars and to see the stars and to see the water and to see nature and to be close to it, to discover more about yourself and who you are. Well, Averill and her family lived that, which is wonderful. I thank you so much for coming on your show. If you want to read and keep up with Avril and her family. If you want to learn where they might be next doing a knife making course, it might be on there. The name of the Facebook page is This Backcountry Life. And it's a much different focus. This Backcountry Life. And we'll put you in touch with this wonderful family, this wonderful woman. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We will, oh, I hope we talk again. Thank you, Rodney. Love what you do. Okay. An inspiration. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.